One, two, one, two, three, four. Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Wes Ulysses. And Wes is the head of sales North America for a company called Red Points. And uh, it's a company that's doing about sort of approaching the $20 million range. And this conversation is really about starting a career in a different in a different profession. He started actually as an accountant and how you move into sales and what the key qualities for success are both as an individual contributor and as a leader. And so it's a really good conversation. And Wes is a fantastic guy and also a great member of Revenue Collective. Now, before we get there, we want to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor for this episode is a company called Outreach. Outreach revolutionizes customer engagement by moving away from siloed conversations to a streamlined and customer-centric journey. Leveraging the next generation of artificial intelligence, the platform allows sales reps to deliver consistent, relevant, and responsible communication for each prospect every time, enabling personalization at scale previously unthinkable. Now, without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Wes Ulysses. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Wes Ulysses. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. But first, let me give you his bio. Wes started his professional career as an accountant for the New York City Ballet. After four years, he didn't like being stuck behind a desk. And so he moved into SaaS and he started his career at SciSense as an SDR, promoted to manager, then to head of enterprise business development, and ultimately director of inside sales for North America. As of January 2019, he's moved on to leading the U.S. sales team at Redpoints, SaaS company leveraging AI and machine learning to protect brands online intellectual property. He also created a company called Upper Hand. The mission of that is to mentor and develop salespeople of color while being a hiring resource to SaaS companies hoping to build a more diverse sales team, which we all know is an important initiative. Wes, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. So the first thing, as you know, is we'd like to start with a baseball card. We'd like to understand a little bit about you and, and contextualize your expertise. So you're head of sales North America for Red Points. Tell us what does Red Point do in your words? Yeah. Um, ultimately, what it does is we leverage AI and, and artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning to pretty much take down counterfeits, right? Um, a lot of times, you know, we're searching uh, eBay, Amazon, uh, Alibaba, and it's littered with counterfeits. And so we're using a combination of what I mentioned before and image recognition to not only find them, but to remove them as well. So is this is this counterfeits like uh, fake Louis Vuitton bags or Chanel bag? Like, is it fake luxury or are there other types of counterfeits that, that you're focused on? Yeah, I mean, you hit nail on the head. It's, it's fake, fake goods. Awesome. Awesome. And so wh- how big is the company? What's the background? Tell us about the size of the company, your role there, how many employees? Just give us a little bit of context. Yeah. So we're just under 300 uh, employees globally, three offices worldwide, uh, one in New York, one in Barcelona, one in Utah, Salt Lake City. We're actually just opening a, an office in China as well. We're about 10 to 15 million ARR right now. Um, it's still growing. Um, our most recent uh, level of funding was about 38 million, which is last August. So uh, all systems go. How'd you, uh, well, let's talk a little bit. I'd love to learn learn more about, you know, what you're doing at Red Points. But before we get there, you mentioned, and I was reading, uh, I was reading your bio, you know, that you were originally a CPA, but what's your background? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And and walk us through the journey because it, it is pretty interesting. I'd love to hear it in your words, this idea that you started off as an accountant for the New York City Ballet, and now, you know, you're running a global sales team. So how did that all happen? Walk us through the background. Yeah, no, we'll do, we'll do. So um, originally I'm born and raised from New York, uh, Brooklyn specifically, you know, come from an immigrant background. And so my parents are always like, look, you got to be a doctor or a lawyer 
or a, a businessman. And they didn't really know what a businessman was, but just, you know, someone who dressed up in a suit and a briefcase and went to work and made a lot of money. Um, so I, I then went to St. John's University. I double majored in uh, finance and economics. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be a, a businessman, <laughs> whatever that was. Um, <laughs> stumbled into uh, accounting. Um, a friend of mine, you know, there was a job opening and she was just like, hey, look, I think you're a great fit. You're super smart. You're great with numbers. That was history. Did that for about four years and I was extremely unhappy. And so one day I went to Rosa Mexicana, had a couple of margaritas uh, and never went back to work. <laughs> and that was the beginning of my, uh, my sales career, <laughs> ironically. Um, so, what yeah. happened? What? What? So you you got drunk at Rosa Mexicana, <laughs> and you just and you were you're just like I cannot go back to that place. W- was it that? Was it the lack of human interaction? Was it just every day? Was it the energy? What was it about? Like, how did you determine for yourself? Because, and the reason I'm asking is because so many really there's no because of the stigma that sales has in the world so many people they they don't they don't decide originally to your point right immigrant parents my parents as well right they they think about like the the classic professions of accounting law medicine etc how did you figure out that that finance and accounting was not for you and what was it about those margaritas at Rosa Mexicana that that led you to that decision <laughs> well we know what was it what, what was uh why the uh, margaritas hit, but more specifically, it was, uh, I mean, I did a lot of soul searching around that time. Um, though at the time I didn't find anything. I just knew that it was like you said earlier, the lack of interaction, right? Um, just project-based assignment for me was just not necessarily a thing. I needed a little bit more, right? I needed a more dynamic environment, something changing. And, and truth be told, I, I needed pressure. I'm someone historically who has thrived under pressure. I performed, I'd like to think at my best under pressure. And so Naturally, sales was was always uh, the right fit for me, but which is interesting. I never knew what sales was uh, growing up. And, and I'd like to tell you a quick story about my background. But my friends would always tell me, like, look, hey, you, you, you need to you need to get in sales. Right. You're going to be awesome in sales. Now, I had no idea what sales was. Right. I thought to myself, like, wow, my friends are insulting me. They're telling me to you know, go sell shoes at the mall or something like that. I hadn't been exposed to SaaS to know what they were talking about. And so when I, once I became exposed to SaaS, I started to realize like, wow, this is, you know, this is my calling. This is what I, I enjoy to do. I enjoy doing, and this is what I want to do, which, you know, ultimately filters on to, into the, the larger conversation, right? Which is why there is such a lack of diversity in sales. And in my opinion, it's, it's exposure, but I guess we'll touch on that a little bit later. <laughs> well, we can, yeah, I mean, we can, we can, let's touch on it now by figuring out how did you become aware of SciSense? Am I right in reading your bio yes. that? being a BDR at Sense was your first entry into SaaS sales. Yes. So how did you, how did, how did you develop that awareness? What did you do to find that job? And how is it a model perhaps for other folks that don't have the same perspective or the same background to your point that don't even know what sales is and think that sales means selling shoes in a mall, which by the way is also exactly. a profession, right, uh, right. but just not all of what sales is. Right. Right. Um, to be honest with you, Sam, I got lucky. Uh, a good friend of mine who's not a person of color, uh, you know, kept telling me, hey, you need to come over and, uh, and interview at my company. I think you'd be a great fit. I resisted for a little while because, you know, I was, I was making a decent salary, but you know, I gave it a shot. I interviewed. I tanked the interview, by the way. <laughs> um, I remember uh, the, the uh, which is my current mentor, Natasha Schifrin. She was a hiring manager at the time. She asked me, why do I think I'd be good at sales? And I, I think my my reply to her was, uh, I'm able to finesse my friends into making crazy trades in my fantasy football team. 
<laughs> a very sadly yeah. that's also a very gender specific example so you know talk to, if she didn't play fantasy football might not really know what you're talking about right right i just remember that what i do remember is the crazy look she gave me and thought this this kid is either a genius or a fool um and so she look i, I ended up getting hired and uh i excelled i broke a couple of records from the scr team uh into the sales and so it was uh again that's that was where it all started what did you do to be successful when you started as an SDR? How, you, you know, when you think about the qualities, because you've you've risen up through the ranks and you're running a big team now, what is it that you think, because, it, you know, you obviously didn't go to school for sales. So what were the qualities that made you successful, particularly in your first role? Good question. So, I mean, for, for me, I think it's more so, I mean, I'm going to sound super cliche right now, but like the ability to adapt, right? I, I mean, more in particular, like particularly speaking, I... I think very quickly. And that goes into what people call, I guess, street smarts, right? And that's, in my opinion, I think that's, you know, very, it's predominant in, in those who grow up uh, like in inner cities, right? We talk about street smarts, but we don't actually really define it or like quantify it or of any sorts. But in my opinion, I think it's the ability to, to, to observe, interpret, and make a decision, an informed decision, all in a split second, right? And make that, and that decision be effective and productive. And so, that's essentially, you know, what I attributed my, uh, my quote unquote success to, right. Just being to being able to adapt, not necessarily knowing the product at first. I remember I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but I kind of, I knew how to adapt to phone calls. I knew how to objection handle just based on logic. And that's just all, I mean, truth be told, Sam street smarts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and to your point, the other part of it, well, feel free to agree or disagree or comment, but I think the other part of that phrase street smarts is also, like a more sophisticated understanding of human nature, like you understand people right. and how and whether or not, frankly, they're lying or telling the truth. Do you think that had something to do with your ability to handle objections potentially? Yeah, I mean, look, absolutely. And uh, one of my favorite books, um, it's Between the World and Me, Ta-Nehisi Coates, and he talks about like a duality of mind, right? Where as, for instance, I'll give you an example. From growing up, you know, I had a new bike, right? And I would ride my bike down, up and down Flatbush. And I knew if, you know, a group of, you know, older guys are on the corner and they said, hey, you know, nice bike. In my mind, I knew exactly what that meant, right? Um, that means two, give me your bike? No, that means what, what's going to happen is, oh, I'm going to say thank you. They're going to ask me where I got it from. They're gonna, one of them is going to ask me for a ride. And if I give that bike up, I'm never going to see it again, right? And so as, you know, a 10-year-old, you have to process that information and then quickly find an exit route um, before, you know, anything happens. Right. And so you, you take that, that muscle, right. And you continue to exercise it, but you also continue to educate the person and expose that person, uh, you know, to, you know, different, you know, industries and professions. And you have this, 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 this experience, this unique set of uh, skills that lends itself to sales in particular. That makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. What, what, what surprised you about the job when you, when you first took it on that maybe you were, you weren't expecting, was it that how good you were naturally at it, or you know, what were the other things that, that came out of, that came out to you? I mean, I, I actually, I think how easy I, I, it, like sales, like the art of sales was, right? And I think, and by that I mean, look, by no means do I think sales is is, is easy, but I think the, the difficult part in sales is is not necessarily the technique, right? Because it's just you know, knowing how to take cues and and, and respond to cues. If I say this at this time, if I hear this then my prospect should in theory react in a certain way, which would ultimately lead to a sale. What I think was most difficult is 
just the emotional and the mental toll that it takes, right? Not many people who are not currently in sales right now. I, I don't know many people that, that can make 50 phone calls and hear 50 no's and make 50 more, right? And maybe get one yes and make that 101st phone call with the same perceived confidence that they made the first one, right? And so for me, that's what, that's what surprised me, just how tiring <laughs> it is. <laughs> what did you do to overcome that? Or how do you handle that? How, how did you process that during the day? Uh, pride. <laughs> it was just pride. I, I, I had to be, I couldn't be last. I, I knew I was too junior to be first, but I, I damn sure knew I couldn't be last. And so uh, that fire just continued to grow and grow. And look, I mean, all credit to my dad. He, uh, he's, he's not the most emotionally available person growing up. And so I remember you know, like getting hurt or losing a basketball game or, or, or whatever it may be. He would just look at me and say, well, so what? You're just going to just not do it again. And for some reason, as a child, that just didn't seem like an option to me, right? It just it sounded crazy. And so um, I continue to challenge that, uh, channel that in, in all of my challenges. Yeah. Um, the pluses and the minuses of, of, have as, of, a, of a father figure like the one you just described. <laughs> but, you know, work ethic is a great thing. What was it, you know, you started off as a BDR and then eventually, if I'm not mistaken, you know, promoted to be a manager. And ultimately, director of inside sales for all of North America, which I imagine must be a pretty large team. So many people want to move from being an individual contributor to being a manager. For you, you know, I always ask that question: What, what didn't you expect? What was surprising about being a manager? And what do you think the skills or the you know what is what do you focus on in order to be great as a manager that may be subtly different from being a great individual contributor? Actually, I think. I mean, I think they're quite similar, right? In a sense where I, I firmly believe that you just got to be yourself, right? Um, if you're well-informed in yourself and you, you're authentic, what you believe is right, uh, chances are we'll, we'll be right, right? And, and again, I'm not sure if you were looking for a lot more of elaborate of an answer, but to me, it's, 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 it's pretty simple. If I feel something is right, um, I trust my gut, I trust my instincts. Uh, again, my instincts is backed by, you know, some history and knowledge. And so, I'm just going to go ahead and take risks and do it. And so the fundamental difference between, you know, I guess, like you mentioned, being a, a manager and an individual contributor is the level of risk that you take, um, in my opinion. I think as an individual contributor, I take a lot more risk. Well, I took a lot more risk. As a manager, I don't take as much risk because I, I know for a fact, right, like my team depends on my sound decision making, you know, in order to you know, help make them success, successful. What do you think the biggest mistakes people are when they get promoted to manager? Um, they think they know it all. <laughs> they definitely think they know it all. Look, a lot of times you'd be surprised. I mean, as you know, in sales, the, the top performer is, is typically promoted into the manager. And a lot of times that top performer is not necessarily qualified immediately to be a, a manager just because you just know how to sell. doesn't mean you know how to coach. And, and so I think a lot of uh, the trap that a lot of managers fall into, uh, first-time managers fall into, is just you know stepping into, into the position and thinking that they are the position and they, they know it all takes a very humble manager to uh, understand that one, you'll learn a lot more from your team than you will, you know, being an individual contributor and thinking that you know it all. Yeah, that's sure. definitely true. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, um, let's talk about upper hand a little bit. So you, you created this company, tell us about it, tell us what it does, tell us the mission and we can use that to, you know, to have a, a different conversation as well. But, but tell us what is upper hand? Yeah. So upper hand, uh, it, it's a combination between a fellowship and a recruiting um, company. Right. And so my goal is to essentially find the other Wes's out there, out there, right. Those who have the raw skill, the natural talent, but just haven't really been exposed to the world of SaaS. Right. 
And so, you know, so I, I felt that it's my job to find, again, you know, myself and others and not only give them uh, the exposure, but also put them through a six-week free uh, fellowship, right? Teach them the SDR role um, from beginning to end. Have some, you know, instructors, um, some known people out there you know, within a sales community uh, come in and run courses uh, for those six weeks um, to prepare them um, for what's, you know, for the challenges uh, ahead. But also partner with some tech companies within, you know, the, the states and help place those fellows into uh, some some roles. So that's essentially what the mission is. That's why I'm doing it. And yeah, so far, uh, it's it's just about launched. Uh, I plan on launching next week and. Look, I think it's going to be an amazing thing. We need a lot more, obviously, diversity, um, but more, but more importantly, we need to be exposed, right? And we need to expose others. So, when you think about driving diversity, there's a, again, some people say that there's quote unquote a pipeline problem, which is not enough candidates of color in order to fill all of the open roles, and maybe part of that. So, I guess you could agree or disagree with that statement. And then also, if it's at least partially true, you're talking about exposure. My question is always, where do you, where does upper hand seek to start? Is it at the college level? Is it going to St. John's or, or even going to HBCUs, uh, you know, going, going to places like Har, Har, uh, Howard, or is it even earlier in high school? Like, when do you think, when do you think the education needs to happen that there are careers that extend beyond whatever's being presented to, you know, underrepresented or underprivileged children? I mean, I think, I think that needs to happen, you know, from, elementary school, right? I mean, we just need to know our options as a people, as a community. But upper hand is, 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 is really targeting not only, you know, the college students that are fresh out, but those who have work experience like I did, but haven't really, you know, gotten into sales or haven't, don't really know what SaaS is, need some training, basic training, obviously, and would like to get into sales. So there's no real starting point. But, you know, again, in terms of exposure, I think we need to expose everyone to this, you know, industry from, you know, as soon as possible from young. You know, when you think about truly achieving diversity in tech sales, is is this is this part is this the, is this the basic uh, the basic idea? Just you know, try to tell more people about it, or do you, or, or is there a bigger idea that that you want people to know about? I mean, the the, the bigger idea is is just you know, the tech industry is is, is evolving right it, it, on a daily basis, right? And you know, like with anything, if you have too much of the same thing, you're not necessarily going to be able to keep up with that type of evolution, and so. I think the bigger picture here is, you know, how can we accelerate, you know, the evolution of tech, right? With, you know, diverse mindsets, with, their, uh, you know, diverse opinions. And that's where obviously the whole, that's where it starts, right? But then that's where I'm aiming for. And so, again, it's, it's, for me, it's all about the exposure on both sides, right? Because even those who know about SaaS, you know, who know what SaaS is, they you tend to join a company or, you know, and it's not necessarily what you, what you think it may be. All too often, you know, what you see and what you hear in, during the interview process is not what you've actually, you know, experienced. And so when I say exposure, there is a level of authenticity that I, I do, I would like to see from, you know, companies as well within that process. When you think about the companies you've worked at or heard about where that, that have done not just a good job on hiring for diversity, but making sure that the, that the people that they hire feel included mm-hmm. and that they stay you know, and that they uh, they have some longevity. What do you think the keys are to to driving that within an organization? So that when if you're joining as a new, you know, team lead, mm-hmm. CRO, whatever the role is that you're interviewing, that you feel like this is a place I want to work for for three, four, five years. What is it that you know folks like me need to make sure we understand? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll be honest, honest with you, Sam. It starts from the resume screening. 
and it's it's hard work. It's a lot of work, right? And for example, it's going to require you know not necessarily looking for the cookie cutter sales person, right? You never know. You never know what like so. If someone looked at my resume and thought to myself and thought to themselves, that's an accountant. Like he has no business in sales, right? They don't know until they they've actually met me. And so, from the interview level, it's going to require open mindedness, right? But more importantly, once you bring you know diversity candidates you know into your organization and into your family, it's going to require uh, you no know, patience and, and an extra level of communication and just open mindedness open mindedness in that sense because these are people who are coming from totally different backgrounds, you know, speaking to different types of people on a daily basis, and so the level of communication that's going to require and the level of patience to develop a cadence between those two people and that team is going to be, you know, major. And so, again, I, I use myself as, as, as an example. My first two months into SciSense, I was on a plan, right? And I had a very candid conversation with my, uh, with my manager at the time. And, you know, she flat out told me like, hey, like pretty much got a couple of weeks before, you know, we have to have an unpleasant conversation. And I just told her like, look, just... I'll figure it out, right? And when I started to, you know, have you know, real honest conversations with those around me and, and really saw my team, you know, lend itself and, and be a lot more patient with my with me, that's when I realized that that's what it's about, right? It's a communication. And if you don't know how to communicate with, you know, those who don't necessarily look like you, then we're never really going to be successful. What do you think the keys to that are? Is it just over-communication? Does it, and was part of it, I'm just interested in this fact that you mm-hmm. went from being on a plan to, you know, a top performer, which frankly happens a lot actually. But <laughs> is it is it that you were not you felt too self-conscious to ask for help? Is that part of it? Or was there or was it that they weren't communicating enough what the objectives of the job were or what or how to be successful at the job? What, what do you think the specific communication gaps were? Yeah, it was a combination of all of that actually. Um I had a conversation with 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 my team lead at the time. And, you know, he asked me, like, look, like, what's stopping you? Why aren't you asking, you know, uh, questions that I clearly see that you need help with? And I'm saying, look, I don't, I don't feel comfortable because every time you know, I'll ask a question, I get this type of response. And I'll try to try ask the question in a different way and I'll, I'll get the same response. And so there's a roadblock there, which is why I remember when my manager told me that, you know, I'll be on a plan and, you know, I got two weeks. I told her to just leave me be and I'll figure it out. Right. Um, and then I started to become more vulnerable with my peers and, and I heard the same answer in different ways and then the clip. And then I had a conversation with my manager and said, hey, look, this is some feedback for you, right? I've asked the same question to my peers and my colleagues in, in different ways. And I've gotten these different answers. And this is how, you know, I communicate. And honestly, that worked wonders, right? We had that conversation. Um, it actually got pretty deep, right? Uh, into like my background and her background. And we found some common ground. And once that, once the line of communication was clear, it was all systems go. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. And, and so, so you're the, just making sure we get it right, because there's, there's folks listening. If, if we think about first, there needs to be a focus and an emphasis on just education and exposure mm-hmm. to communities that might not be aware of SAS starting as early as possible. And then it's really about presenting sales as an option, even to people that are out of school, but in different careers. And then it's about communication and over-communication and making sure that people feel safe enough, because that's sort of what you said. But tell me if I'm wrong, safe enough to ask those questions and to be vulnerable so that you don't feel like you have to carry the shoulder of the only person of color on the team and, uh, you know, and that pressure of making sure you succeed, but just can be another teammate that asks for help and gets it. Does that sound accurate to you? Am I missing something? 
No, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Awesome. When you think about sales in general, what's working these days for your for your team? You know, when you think about outreach, when you think about being an SDR, BDR, like what's what's been what have you seen particularly as as COVID has happened in terms of like the eff- effectiveness of different strategies? Yeah. Honestly, the same thing that's been working, um, but just right now, it's just uh, it, it's just magnified, right? Just creativity. What I tell you know my SDRs is your prospect is getting you know message and phone call and called by multiple SDRs across multiple uh, you know different industries, and to some extent, they all sound the same. So pitch to the person, right, and, and not necessarily the, the the company, and try to stand out, right. And so when I get SDR emails. I tend to forward them to my team, right? And, you know, on a weekly or a monthly basis, the exercise is, well, what's the common denominator between all of these emails that I've sent you? And now the next exercise is how are you, how do you plan on being creative and standing out, right? And so I think right now more than ever, because of COVID, you know, the market right now is ripe for creativity, ripe for innovation, and everyone's kind of finding their own voice, right? Being at home by themselves, working, going through them, you know, their, 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 their frustrations by themselves. It's not the same when you're in the office, you know, with your team. And so I think a lot of people are finding their voices, and more than ever, I think more people are being a lot more creative um, with their messaging. And I think that's, that's yielding, you know, some, some, some solid fruit. Yeah. Yeah. How's, how's Redpoints doing through this, through the crisis as, uh, you know, you joined in 2019. Are you, how, how's your business? Yeah. Uh, so no, great. Um, so look, honestly, we, we, we pivoted right into, uh, industries and verticals that are doing, you know, well during this time, right. Those who are, you know, focused on bolstering the e-commerce, uh, you know, business and such. And so I'm happy to say in the last you know, quarter, we've seen an increase in sales. And so we're doing pretty, pretty well right now. We're doing pretty well. Awesome. That's great. Last uh, question sort of related to the fact that, you know, to upper hand and to mm-hmm. everything that's going on in the in the world, in the country, not just around COVID, but around, you know, racial equality and racial justice. Mm-hmm. What role do you think companies have as public speakers in mm-hmm. this moment? And do you, do you think private companies have a responsibility to speak out in support of Black Lives Matter and other movements? Or do you think that it's really just about individual citizens? What, what's your what's your perspective as somebody working for a company and thinking about these issues, particularly mm-hmm. as you're starting upper hand? Yeah, I think I think we all have a responsibility, right? From, down, from you know from the individual to you know the company. How that manifests is a different, you know, is different for all of us. For instance, I'm not as outspoken, you know, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter um, thing or a movement. Upper hand is my way of, of, of contributing and doing my part, right? And so uh, when it comes to, you know, a company, I'm okay with, you know, a company not taking a stance on social media, right? As long as the work is being done, you know, behind the scenes. And to be honest, that, that, that transpires in an individual as well. I'm not, again, I don't, me personally, I don't care how outspoken one is as long as the work is being done in some form or way. Yeah. Well, that, I, I hear you. Um, <laughs> Wes, we're, we're uh, about at the end of our time together, but one of the things we like to do is sort of pay it forward at the end and, and, and share some of your inspiration, some of your mentors. You mentioned a few of them, but you know, it'd be good to hear them again. But what are some books that you've read? What are some pieces of content? What are some people that have had a huge influence on, on you? Remind us so that we can seek them out on LinkedIn or, or, or read the book or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, my, my, my first STR director, uh, my mentor, Natasha Shipprin, She's been instrumental in, in, in just, you know, me building a career for myself. Look, as, as salespeople, we always talk about, you know, going back to basics. And she's 
literally, I, remember, I hear her voice when I say that. Um, whenever I, you know, go awry or start messing up, back to basics. And so she, again, she's one of my mentors and she's been instrumental. And in terms of the book, uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, it's called Between the World and Me. Uh, it's written by Ta-Nehisi Coates. It's incredible. It's, it's not only a book for, uh, you know, people of color, but it's a book for everyone. I like to think that it's, it's a translator in a sense, right? Where, you know, those who are not of the same, you know, diverse, ba- uh, sorry, the same background as myself and those that don't look like me can get a snapshot into how I grew up, right? And how you know, inner city kids grew up. And so, uh, it's a really, really, really insightful book. Awesome. Yeah. He's, he's an incredible writer and an incredible speaker. So hopefully some folks will check that out. Wes, if folks are listening and they want to get in touch with you, maybe they want to apply to upper hand. Maybe they just want you as a mentor, or maybe they just want to, to reach out and make a connection. What's the best way to reach you uh, when you think about getting contacted? Yeah. Um, look, I'll put my personal email out there. It's uh, WesleyLissy uh, at gmail.com. Um, incredibly open to obviously connecting and always learning and, you know, sharing what I've learned throughout my journey. And those who want to get in contact with me regarding Upper Hand, it's uh, Wes at HaveTheUpperHand.com. Awesome. Wes at HaveTheUpperHand.com. Wes, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll talk to you on Friday for Friday Fundamentals. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Hey, everybody, it's Sam's Corner, and uh, really love that conversation with Wes Ulysses. You know, the thing for me, the big thing that, that, that came out of that for me was just because there's no place to major in sales or there's not that many places, you really can come from almost any kind of background, provided that you have the mental composition and the fortitude necessary to commit yourself to the profession. Wes started off as an accountant for the New York City Ballet and started at the bottom. You know, he started his career as an SDR at SciSense, ultimately was promoted and is now running a large team. And I think that that perseverance and that commitment is emblematic of people that really have a goal, set a goal and work hard to achieve it. So I thought that conversation was great. And, and I also just really think a lot of the things that Wesley's doing around upper hand and mentoring and developing salespeople of color uh, is, is a fantastic initiative. There's a lot of these different types of companies that are helping bring people of color into the technology sales profession. And I'm hugely supportive of that. I think there's an opportunity for entry-level folks, but there are also an incredible number of outstanding, exceptional executives of color that we also need to be thinking about, not just bringing people in at the very bottom, but also bringing in through middle management and through the executive ranks. Regardless, really like that conversation. Now, before we go, we want to thank our sponsor, Outreach. Outreach is revolutionizing customer engagement by producing and moving away from siloed conversations to streamlined and customer-centric journey. Check them out at www.outreach.io. If you want to reach me, you can. LinkedIn.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. I'll do my best to get back to you in a timely way. If you want to participate or become a member of Revenue Collective, we're building the future of of professional education over there. And we're helping each person, each individual member, unlock their professional potential. So basically, you tell us where you're trying to go and we help you get there. So if that's of interest, revenuecollective.com, upper right-hand corner, click apply now. If you want to do more research on us, we've got 14,000 followers on LinkedIn and a bunch of different people that are um, that are members and talking about us on LinkedIn. So at any rate, I'll talk to you next time. Is everybody